Did you buy one of those awesome Roku devices as a Christmas gift this year? So would you be okay if seven total strangers had a vote as to whether or not it stayed awesome or maybe just ended up on that pile of VCRs in your basement? Well, that almost happened this year, and you probably didn't even know, but that's why we're here. It's time for Stuff You Should Know About IP. So, yeah, Tom. you should know this, right? You gotta I, know this. I, I was shocked when you told me this, that a jury decided this case, but I, I want to hear your summary of it. So, what, okay, so what's the deal so here? So there's a company called MV3 Partners that has this patent, which we'll just call the 223 patent. Typically, just as a, something totally on the side, when you're referring to patents, in the U.S. at least, and really all over the world, but in the U.S., we refer to a patent by the last three numbers of the patent number. So there's like, I mean, we're probably into like the 10 millions or so, but the last three numbers, and in this case, it's the, the 223 patent. So MV3 Partners has this 223 patent, and it is on something called streaming media devices technology. And I'm not an expert at this, but let me say I use Roku, okay? So I'm an expert at looking at it because unlike you, Ray, who have no TVs in your house, I, know. I have three girls, 20, 20, and 21. So I'm in a room right now at home where I can see one TV to my right and one TV in front of me, both have Roku devices. And essentially Roku devices enable you to put together all your content sources like Netflix, Prime, Hulu and others. And then you could kind of like click which ones you want to watch mm -hmm. all in one place. So if I want to watch a show on Prime, I click Prime, bam, I watch that show. Then if I'm feeling particularly lazy and I don't want to do anything, I can watch a show on Netflix just by clicking over to Netflix and going, bam, now I got Netflix. Sounds all pretty awesome. Device, right? Yeah, it's pretty awesome and it's pretty terrifying. But and we'll talk about why it's terrifying in a second. But essentially, so MV3 Partners is going after them. They, and, um, and that's what this case is all about is because Roku's making a ton of money. MV3 Partners has a patent and they want to get in the game. Because as I've always told you, Ray, we've talked about this, that if you are failing in business, no one cares about you. But when you're winning, when you're making money, suddenly you're like a red hot beacon for people who want to get a piece of you. And MV3 Partners took a whack at Roku in 2018. And before we get to the case, let's just talk about on-demand stuff and how awesome it is, okay? Yeah. yeah. It's like our life now. It's our life. I mean, I can remember, I'm old enough to remember being in a hotel room in like the 90s and seeing on-demand TV. And it was so awesome. Oh, yeah. I called my brother and I said, dude, we have got to start selling on-demand TV because this is going to take the world by storm. And that was just on-demand movies. That was just not regular TV. You know, click through a list of movies you want to watch. It was like the early stages of yeah, these yeah, yeah. highly addictive things. So anyway, then along comes, you know, the Netflix, the Prime, the Hulu, and all these things, which, by the way, are highly addictive. I often find it funny that in New York yeah. State, marijuana is illegal, but Netflix is legal, right? I mean, <laughs> Netflix is destroying way more lives than, than weed ever. Probably, could. yeah, oh my especially God. once they got the office. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, 
It is Netflix, Prime, and Hulu are probably 90% at cause for people not pursuing their dreams in the evenings, right? <laughs> like in the olden days, when I was younger, you go home, there's nothing to watch because you get like two, four, and seven, and maybe UHF, which you don't even know what that is. Yeah, it's just young. static, but for some reason, so, it's entertaining. Yeah, so, so <laughs> right. So, and also there's like the little black line going down the TV every once in a while. Yeah. So, what did we do? We pursued all kinds of personal passions in the evening. Well, I mean, I was only a kid, so I wasn't working. But the point is, you know, I've written a bunch of books, right? And it's just a hobby of mine. I'm a closet writer. If I sat and watched Netflix, Hulu, and Prime every night, I'd never write a book. And remember the other day when you asked me what I'm doing on Christmas and, uh, and, and Christmas Eve, and I said, I think I'm going to start planning my next book. But I've been held up for the last two years because I'm watching these damn addictive content delivery sources, right? Yeah, it's Roku. So anyway, <laughs> Roku in some ways is like the distribution system, the delivery system for these drugs, okay? Yeah. And it's winning big time. So anyway, so in 2018, MV3 Partners sues Roku for patent infringement, right? And it's on this 223 patent. Now, Roku defends themselves with non-infringement, which is typical, right? There's always two defenses. Number one, I don't infringe. Number two, even if I do, your patent should have been never been issued, which means it's invalid, right? So, and by the way, they also have some uh, you know, equitable defenses as well, but let's just focus on non-infringement for the moment because that's ultimately what it came down to. So the case is filed in the Western District of Texas, and there's a judge Judge Alan Albright. Now, Judge Alan Albright is an interesting character because so he's he's put on the district court by Donald Trump in 2018. He's a former patent litigator, which is important because there's more and more patent cases, right? I mean, I've litigated patent cases in front of judges that don't know anything about intellectual property because back in like the late 90s, early 2000s, they didn't know a lot. It was very new. It's becoming more common to have more IP savvy judges, but Alan Albright is definitely one of those. So he goes to Trinity College. He has a poli sci degree, which means he's not a patent lawyer. He's a patent litigator, but he's not a patent lawyer. This Wait, uh, but How can you be a patent litigator, but not a patent lawyer? I, I don't understand. Yeah. Great question. So one of my favorite people on earth, Jen Friedman, who is also one of the litigators for my Colson Law Group law firm, and she's brilliant. Um, she is a patent litigator, but she's not a patent lawyer, which means that to be a patent lawyer, you need to have a, you need to have a patent registration number, which I have. You can't get in which you're going to have in the next four years, but you can't get that unless you have a science degree. So you have to have an undergraduate degree in like computers or biology or chemistry or engineering or some hard science. And I don't mean soft sciences like political science. Now, by the way, I have a political science degree. And after law school, I had to go back to school at night for four years to get my chemistry degree because you have to have a hard science. Right. Judge Alan Albright does not have a hard science degree. He's a poli sci major. So he's not a patent lawyer with a registration number. However, being a registered patent lawyer gives you the right to prosecute patent applications at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Okay. Yeah. But any lawyer 
that's admitted to the bar and then can practice before the federal courts can litigate any case in federal court. Okay. So you can litigate patent cases in court, even though you're not a registered patent lawyer. So, so when you refer to someone as a patent litigator, that just kind of means that's something it's, it's by nature of their experience that they've been mostly focused on that in their career. Yeah, it could be both. I mean, you could be a pat I was a patent litigator, right? For like most of my career, I've been a patent litigator and I'm also a patent lawyer. I'm a registered patent lawyer, but you don't have to be registered to try patent cases in federal court. You don't have to be a registered patent lawyer. And Jen Friedman, again, she is a crack star litigator for us. And she's not a pat registered patent lawyer, but she knows a ton about patents because she's been involved in patent litigation for like two decades, you know? Right. So Trump appoints Alan Albright to the court, to the Western District of Texas in 2018. He's a patent litigator, so he knows a ton about intellectual property litigation. And, you know, he's a good guy to have on the bench. Now, here's the unique thing about Alan Albright. I'm sure there's a lot of unique things about the guy, right? But one thing that's unique is he gets appointed in 2018. He goes on a roadshow selling the fact that people should file cases in the Western District of Texas, right? He actually goes out on the speaking tour before the pandemic. In fact, he calls his tour. Wait, I wrote it down. Let me see if I can find it here. Okay. He calls his tour why you should file your next patent case across from Hay Sugar, okay? Hay Sugar is a candy store across from the Waco courthouse, right? So he goes on tour on his why you should file your next patent case across from Hay Sugar. Okay, what? Yeah, he go, he, yeah, because he wants to get people to file there. And if you can get jurisdiction, it's federal court. So if you can get jurisdiction in his court, he wants your case. And guess what? It works. Right now he's got pending, let's see, 545 cases are pending. Yeah, wait a second, I have it written down here. It was he getting commission? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't... It's really cool. 545 patent cases are pending in the Western District of Texas in front of Judge Alan Albright. So get a load of this. This case, this this patent case is his first patent trial as a judge. Okay, so he's a patent litigator. I'm, I don't know why my screen's getting dark, but anyway, he's a patent litigator, but this is his first case as a patent, as a federal court judge dealing with the patent infringement trial. So there's like standing room only in the courthouse because people who are going to decide whether to file cases in the Western District of Texas in hopes of getting Judge Alan Albright as their judge want to know what he's like, right? So there's, there's blogs doing a day-to-day -day on this case because not only do people have to decide where they want to file, but also keep in mind, um, this is a big case, right? Because it's not just about um, Roku. So MV3 Partners also shoes, shoes, they also have pending actions at the time against Best Buy and Kohl's for selling Roku's. Because remember, if you're, a, uh, if you're an infringer, you can, if you're a patent owner, you have the right to prevent others from making, using, selling, or offering for sale, right? Right. So Roku's making this device. I mean, arguably they're selling it too, but 
Best Buy and Kohl's are selling it. Like I bought my Roku from Best Buy, right? So they're also being sued, but their cases were put on hold pending the outcome of this case. So then, you know, let me just go through a list here. There's so it's not just Roku, it's not just Best Buy, it's not just Kohl's. It's also other key streaming device players include Google, Microsoft, Sony, Samsung, um, LG, Apple, Philips, Amazon, Huawei, High Media. I mean, this is MV3 Partners Day in the Sun, right? Yeah. I mean, they're a, they're a company that has this patent, the 223 patent. And they are ready to go to town. They're ready to start bringing their case ever. Just like Judge Albright went on a roadshow to sell the the court. They're going out on the roadshow. I think that's like a topic for an entire episode. Yeah, I know. I wish I knew more about it. I just read about it this morning. I thought it was... Look, is that even... Is that like a thing? I don't know. I mean, I guess, hey, he wants to get busy, right? He doesn't want to be sitting in his court just, you know, waiting to go play <laughs> racquetball at noon. He wants to work. Yeah, I guess. Oh, and by the way, he did a great job. So so this trial is, a, it starts, so it's sued in 2018, like December, I think December of 2018, it's sued. The trial starts beginning of October, 2020. So 19, less than two years later, Discovery is complete. We are on trial for like the biggest patent infringement case of the decade, right? I mean, I shouldn't say that, wait, wait what decade does 2020 count in? 11 to 20? Let's say it's 11 to 20, okay? Probably the biggest, you know, most exciting, biggest outcome case of the decade, particularly because, again, these services are dominating our lives, right? Mm-hmm. This is everything to humanity. We're going to just become a bunch of people who sit there in our chairs watching videos and yeah. not even working in the future, right? So you we're just gonna... plug Roku into the back of your brain like the Matrix. Exactly. We're going to have absolutely no muscle on our body. We're going to have absolutely <laughs> no athletic skills, no communication. Like that movie Wally. Yes, I didn't see Wally, but I heard it's about it. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. So, so anyway, so Judge Albright gets through all the you know uh, discovery pre-trial stuff and into the courtroom in front of a jury within less than two years. So so I I read about the trial. I didn't watch it, of course, but I read about kind of like a little bit of a play-by-play. And apparently this guy, Judge Alan Albright, was great at moving things along. It was a five-day patent trial. And he was like, he wouldn't take, you know, there's one thing that jumped out at me is when lawyers make objections, a lot of times they object and then they go up and do a sidebar and the, you know, the court reporter's there and they got this little device that, that makes a little tiny bit of buzzing noise so the jury can't hear what you're talking about. And all this stuff happens kind of outside of the jury's ears. He did everything in front of the jury. You got an objection, make it from your chair, argue your objection. So, and he, mo- and he moved expert witnesses along and he would interrupt and start asking questions. Cause remember this guy's a seasoned litigator, right? So he was on the lawyer side of this for his whole career. Right. So anyway, he moves the trial along very rapidly and it's a seven jury panel. So seven jurors, right? Now you have never been on a jury, right? Mm-hmm. I was on a jury in the jury box once where 
you know, they call you in, they put you in the box, and then the lawyers ask you questions. And you have to keep one thing in mind about this, and that is juries, in my experience of trying a lot of cases in front of juries, I'm not saying they're not bright, but they're typically not savvy about legal things, particularly technology, right? Because imagine the people that get on the jury. It's people don't want to be on juries, right? Because you got yeah. a life. You don't have five days to disappear from your job and go on a jury. So you might, you get retirees, you get people who don't have important careers to them or things that they, or maybe people who are curious and they just want to be on it. But ultimately the lawyers are trying to get rid of anyone that's biased at all. Like if you've got a strong opinion one way or the other, bam, you're out. I was on a jury and it was a uh, criminal jury. And because I'm a former criminal prosecutor, I got bounced by the uh, defense, which by the way, I think was a mistake because even though I was a former prosecutor, I became very liberal minded and I probably would have been better for the defense by then. But that's a different, that's a discussion for a different day. The point is people want to get off juries and usually if they're clever enough, they do. So what does that leave you with? That leaves you with people who, you know, had time to be on a jury, were not clever enough to get off the jury. You know, they couldn't think of an extreme position to get them off. So who do you end up with? You don't end up with the sharpest, necessarily the sharpest people. I mean, it isn't, you'd think that for a patent case, you would seek out, there'd be some rules about jurors having to have science degrees, perhaps, so they could understand what's going on. But there aren't no rule, those rules. You could get people with just high school educations, two-year associate's degree, poli-sci majors. You, don't, you get whoever you end up with is who you get, and they're not necessarily technically savvy. Now, having said that, I did read that there were a couple of jurors who were tech savvy on this case, which was probably a good thing. But anyway, you've got this case of the decade where all kinds of stuff is going to be decided. MV3 Partners is ready to go out and start attacking all these big players. You know, all these big players are waiting to see the outcome and it rides on the opinions of seven regular people who are not trained in intellectual property, who are not trained in technology, right? Yeah. That's kind of an interesting situation, right? Yeah, because I don't know. I don't know what, in a sense, you sort of want, you don't want anyone with bias. Right. But all, at the same time, you want people to at least understand what they're deciding and whether or not it, it, they're, anyone's breaking the law. So yeah, you want people that can decide whether or not there's patent infringement. Now yeah. Think about that. How, we, Ray, part of our life is creating training videos on intellectual property fundamentals, right? We're creating these patent infringement. We're trying to educate engineers, people with science degrees on intellectual property fundamentals. And even after they've watched our program, still sometimes they have questions that are fairly general. You know, they're not really subtle questions. Right. And, but before they watch our videos, it's stunning how little they know, right? And these yeah. are engineers. Sometimes they're patented engineers, right? right? I mean, when yeah, I- You could be an inventor lawyer, and still yeah. not know what that means, really. Yeah, I've gone out and met with a bunch of my you know, clients. I'll go out and meet with a bunch of engineers to see what they're working on, to see if there's any patent applications that need to be prepared and filed. And I'm always stunned that people with like six, eight, 10, 12, 20 patents in their name as inventors- Yeah don't even really understand what a claim is. You know, you'll read the claim that you've drafted and they'll say, that's not my invention. You know, cause they don't see their invention in the claim. They don't understand right. that 
you know, broad claims are better than narrow claims. You don't want all your elements in the claim. They don't understand a lot about claims. And these are patented inventors. inventors. Now take seven people literally off the street, right? Actually off the street, anybody from any walk of life. And they're on that jury deciding whether MV3 Partners gets $41 million and then a clear path toward Google, Microsoft, Sony, LG, Apple, <laughs> Philips, Huawei, Amazon. Yeah. I mean, seven people are deciding this. Yeah. Now, luckily, you got Judge Alan Albright, who is a patent litigator, who's probably keeping them on track and reading them instructions that are simple. And you've got really bright lawyers on both sides that are probably trying to simplify it for the jury. Well, if they want the jury to understand it, sometimes they don't want the jury to understand it. But that to me is fascinating. So at the end of it all, the punchline to this is the seven jurors come back, rule against MV3 partners in favor of Roku. And they say that there is no infringement of the 223 patent. They were just sitting there thinking, I don't want my Roku going away. Imagine that. Or, or, or for it to be twice as expensive. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you have a jury pool of like. No, no, no. People. Juries would never act out of their own self-interest. Of course not. People of don't course. do that. Yeah, because these are, yeah, these are highly sophisticated, highly ethical people on this jury. And, you know, they're not going to do that. But imagine how many of them went home every day after trial and watched the Roku, to, you know, use the right? Roku yeah. to watch Netflix or yeah. Prime Hulu. You know, they're watching like Law and like, Order or uh, you know some other like courtroom right. show because they didn't get enough of it for twelve hours. Right, right. So you know, um, a couple other quick things, and that is, or actually one other quick thing, which I found interesting when reading about this was how careful the ju- the ju- the lawyers on the defense were to make sure the jury understood. They kept it so simple. You know, when, I, when I'm trying a case, when I'm on trial and I go in, think of the jury, I don't want to send them into the jury box with like eight things they have to think about. I want to send them with three things to think about. And I want to hit them with three things over and over so that at the end of it all, they're thinking about those three things and they thoroughly understand them. And that sounds like a lot like what the defense did. They wanted them to clearly make an easy path to see that the product Roku had was different than the patent claims of that 223 patent. Because remember, when you're deciding infringement, you have to look at the claim elements and determine whether the product has all the claim elements. If the claim element, if there's five claim elements and the product only has four of them, they're not infringing. So I'm sure there were charts and visuals and graphics and, and all kinds of high-tech stuff. I mean, we're talking about millions spent in that 18 months on this trial, 18 to 20 months on this trial. So I guarantee you, it was a great show that was put on by these lawyers and they made it very simple to see, you know, what the product is, what it has and what it doesn't have in connection with those claims. It's really interesting. I wish, uh, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall for that. Or better yet, not even a fly on the wall, a seat in the pew. You know, I mean, there are people watching that trial and you yeah. can do that. You could actually do that. Not today. I don't know what's going on with the pandemic with uh, watching these trials. But, you know, that's something to think about is find out when there's a trial near you. 
you know? Yeah. Uh, a jury trial. A pat and patent cases don't go to jury trial that often. But if you find a jury trial near you, you should go to watch it. You know, right. particularly you, right? The two of us should go and watch a jury trial. You know, when this pandemic's over, we should find a good jury trial someplace within driving distance and go and spend a few days watching it because, you know, I'm sure they're not going to be as exciting as MV3 partners versus Roku. Right. But who knows? Right? Who knows? Yeah, I mean, you, you don't know, right? I mean, we didn't know that this case even existed. I we know. didn't know that the lives of our Roku devices were hanging in the balance of seven everything just we hold sacred people everything, who are I mean, everything. Yeah there's, yeah, there's the First Amendment free speech rights, right? There's trial by jury and there's Roku, you know, the top three most important that's things it. in the American system, yep. right? We need a, we an addition to the Bill of Rights. Right, that's right. We almost lost one of them. And I bet you a good percentage of Americans would give up that First Amendment for Roku. <laughs> Oh, anyway, I'm laughing because it's sad and true. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm telling you, Ray, and any any one of our tens of millions of people who are watching, you want to be productive? You know, so there's this guy you might have heard of, I think, by the way, I'm probably going to get this wrong. So forgive me if I get it totally wrong. But there's this guy named Albert Einstein that you might have heard of. Oh, yeah. Relatively. I think, yeah. I think he said, there's value in being underemployed. And I think his mentality was, you have evenings and weekends where you can explore things and do great things. And I've always believed in that. I mean, I spent eight months once every night, every weekend, creating a series of children's books called A Girl Named Pants. I think we did a video on one of those once. But I couldn't have done that. It took me like four hours a night, five nights a week for eight months to create seven books, five picture books for kindergartners two chapter books because I wanted my daughters to be empowered to believe that they could accomplish anything and they needed a strong female character to show them that. But the point is, we sold like 10,000 books. I've gotten all kinds of phone calls and emails from people who say, oh my God, my kid, my daughter's life was changed by this. And even to this day, I'll have people come up to me sometimes and say, wait, did you do those girl named pants books? All because I didn't have Netflix, right? There was no Netflix. But if you're watching, and I'm not saying this to bash Netflix because they are brilliant. Um, but you know, if you want to accomplish things after work in your evening hours, especially when so many people, particularly Americans, are struggling with like one or two jobs and they're like they can't get out of debt, you got to do stuff in your evenings to you know right. build something great, whether it's a hobby or a business empire or whatever. These 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 content providers are seriously taking away our our enthusiasm for doing that. Yep. yep. So anyway, but having said that, I love Prime, I love Hulu, I love Netflix. And Roku! I, I can't deny it. Even though I don't have a TV, I do occasionally watch on a laptop, so... Yes, of course. And that, yep, that's their thing. Well, but, and it's like, it can, get, it can get into your eyeballs, you know, no matter what device you have, that's the brilliance of it. So. Yeah, and that's the invention, right? Is being able to stream with with your phones. Right. You know? I mean, yeah, you just carry your phone around and you're hooked. Well, We are hooked, Ray. We are hooked, I'm not going to lie. So I think this was a really great uh, discussion. I'm glad that you brought this up. Uh, and I hope that you all agree if you found this uh, entertaining, uh, this little tidbit uh, stuff you should know about IP. Please comment, share your thoughts. 
Um, let us know if you uh, bought a Roku as a Christmas gift. Um, and um, please share the podcast. And of course, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Yes. Yeah.